I'm Mark Peterson, and this is the FEMA Podcast. FEMA's Office of Disability Integration and Coordination, together with FEMA's senior leadership, have been actively working to improve the capacity of our agency to better serve people with disabilities before, during, and after disasters. To do so, FEMA and the ODIC, the Office of Disability Integration and Coordination, is focused on its primary mission, providing tools, techniques, strategies, and technical assistance to the FEMA programs and our state, local, tribal, and territorial partners so that they can better serve people with disabilities. On this episode, we check in with Linda Mastandria, the Director of the Office of Disability Integration and Coordination, as well as Chris Smith, the Associate Administrator for Individual Assistance, about how they're incorporating holistic planning for people with disabilities into every aspect of FEMA's work. Last time we spoke to Linda Mastandria, uh, the director of the Office of Disability Integration and Coordination, uh, was about last year. And a lot has evolved with that office, some exciting things, some reorganizational things, um, but ultimately things that are uh, focused on improving uh, the way that we deliver our programs to survivors. So, Linda, thank you for joining me again. You're welcome. And also Chris Smith, who is the uh, director of the Individual Assistance Program at FEMA. Glad to be here. Because delivering services to people with disabilities um, is a very important aspect of what FEMA does. Absolutely. Um, so, <clears throat> Linda, um, so since we talked last time where you sort of provided us an overview of the program, um, what, has, uh, what has changed significantly over the last year? Thanks, Mark. Um, so we've made a lot of strides over the last year, a lot of improvements in how we're delivering service, um, starting with a reorganization of our headquarters office. We've, we are uh, two positions from being fully staffed now, and uh, we've added folks who are working on data analytics, capacity building, and uh, developing deeper relationships with both individual assistants and public assistants uh, at headquarters. And so that's really expanding our reach and our capacity to uh, not only, you know, uh, to help the program areas better serve people with disabilities, but by bringing in a data ana analytics person, we are now starting to capture better data to help us more accurately and adequately tell the story of who the survivors with disabilities are that are being impacted so that we can better serve them. Over the last year, you have been working diligently to sort of reshape the way that you integrate with uh, program offices. Can you tell me about that? Absolutely. So over the last year, um, the Office of Disability Integration and Coordination, uh, we wrote our own strategic plan. And we, you know, very, um, very much modeled after FEMA's strategic plan, keeping in line with that plan so that we can support the overall organization's goals. And uh, a couple of key pieces for us as um, as I started to allude to, are really deepening our engagement with individual assistance, deepening our engagement with public assistance, and really helping the organization uh, make better data-driven decisions when it comes to people with disabilities. Um, we've lived very much in the world of anecdotes when it comes to serving people with disabilities in the past, and um, 
while that's gotten us part of the way, you know, it hasn't gotten us as far as we need to go when it comes to serving people with disabilities. One of the things that we worked very diligently on with uh, individual assistance and other program offices across the organization is looking at how we register people with disabilities for uh, federal assistance. And we recognized from the work that we did starting back in 2017 uh, that our question that helped to identify people with disabilities was very clunky, very difficult to answer. It wasn't giving us good data when it came to really understanding the needs of people with disabilities. And so um, together with individual assistance and other program areas, we had a group that came together that drafted some language to improve that question, which um, is pending final OPM approval from what I understand, but was implemented in May of this year. And what's really interesting about that, Mark, is the change that we've seen in registrations of people with disabilities went from an average of somewhere in the low 2% to about 15%. And what that means for us is that we are much more closely tracking the American Community Survey data, which which really identifies the population of people with disabilities in a given area, right? And so now we know that we are much more accurately capturing people with disabilities who've been impacted. Yeah, Chris, you know, I mean, this, this sounds like some important um, programmatic changes to help the delivery, but it's not as though your program was not focused on these populations before, right? Yeah. So how has that, um, this, this further engagement sort of evolved the program thinking um, towards this audience over the last couple of years? I think what it does is, is this kind of engagement puts the um, thoughtfulness of uh, a, a programmatic applications and implementation, uh, having partners right there with us uh, in the development of the policy or the uh, execution of the actual um, questions, if you will, in this example, uh, that is so incredibly powerful for our team collectively to um, to deliver to the survivor. So um, another example of this partnership it, that I see a dramatic um, uh, positive impacts from are simple engagements with our call center staff. Simple engagements with the, that, that have our embedded now disability integration advisors sitting down and, and actually talking through registrations and, and interactions that individuals have on the phones, um, whether they're registering online. But the bottom line is, is that our workforce is becoming more and more aligned with and attuned to the needs of individuals with disabilities as they are uh, subs uh, as they are impacted by disasters. So you talked a little bit about the staff that is actually working side by side with your staff. Um, so Linda, back to you. Um, your office both has a role for sort of advising the overall FEMA strategy, but also you um, are you oversee a cadre of actual employees that are out there working. Um, so how was previous um, how was the previous structure of your office uh, working with programs through that cadre um, maybe a couple of years ago versus how it is now? Thank you for that. So a couple of years ago, I think the disability integration cadre was very much um, focused on uh, heavy survivor interaction and really um, 
a lot of one-on-one -on -one engagement with survivors and really um, integrating into programs and doing the work of a program area versus serving as an advisor. Um, and when I came in in 2017 and started looking at how we were doing business and how we could be most effective, we realized that we could never staff enough disability integration advisors in the field to do that sort of one-on-one -on -one engagement. So we needed to look at a different way. And so we really kind of looked at what our title was, Disability Integration Advisor, right? And we looked at how we could incorporate advising into the program areas and, and kind of looking at the overall uh, organization's responsibility to serve people with disabilities and understanding that it's not just housed in one office, not just with the Office of Disability Integration and Coordination, but every office needs to serve people with disabilities who are, after all, people. And so we started reframing how we were looking at that position and the sort of skills and tactics and things that would really be needed to help that person be successful. And we changed our deployment model so that we don't have individuals riding with DSA like I did when I was a first, you know, first a reservist before I took this position. But now we have people really being strategic thinkers and high level advisors to an IA branch chief, to the FCO and chief of staff on the global bigger impacts facing people with disabilities in a particular disaster. We're really becoming more of a, a risk manager and a key advisor. You know, you talked as you as you talk about building out your staff at the headquarters level, one of the one of the exciting pieces is the data analytics um, position. Where do you see that going? Yeah, so I think that's been one of our most exciting hires, quite honestly. And I didn't even realize how much we needed a data analytics person until we had one. Um, she has has helped me really understand the depth and breadth of information that is available out there regarding people with disabilities that we just have not been well capturing. And because you've got somebody with that expertise now, they know where to go for the sources. They know she's made her way around the building. She's working with the recovery analytics division um, and really looking at how we can get the biggest and best set of data on people with disabilities across the United States, where they are in terms of the impacted areas, what the, what the needs are of people who have been impacted and all of that. And so that's going to help not only my office, but really FEMA as a whole, because when you have a disability integration advisor who lands on the ground to advise an FCO, they're going to be able to work with their local regional disability integration specialist and get the data on that existing population, understand where there are particular pockets of people who have been impacted, even to the level of understanding the different types of disabilities and needs those individuals will have. And so we will be much better positioned, much sooner to serve people with disabilities because of that work, which is really fabulous. Um, I think the other key thing that, that uh, Jessica is working on, again, in collaboration with RAD or the Recovery Analytics Division, is this disability metrics report, which is meant to be a living, breathing document that will be refreshed or could be refreshed virtually continuously to give people the most up-to-date information that they need. So it's it's going to help us, again, across the board at FEMA, but, we, but it's something that our state and local partners will be able to take advantage of, um, that, you know, that planners will be able to use, that the regional disability integration specialist will be able to use, our disability integration staff in the field. Uh, and it will just also 
you know, in addition to our work in the field, it will help us understand again on a much more global scale what the actual population of people with disabilities is and what their needs are so that FEMA as an organization can better plan as we look to build new programs and deliver services in new and different ways who we're actually trying to serve. So Chris, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about um, as we look at going into a, a new incident that is going to require the individual assistance program to stand up, how does um, having better fidelity on the metrics of a community improve your program delivery? In a few ways, actually. So one of the, 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 the constructs of, of disaster response and recovery that I was thinking about when Linda was describing the 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 power of having a data analytics person working with the recovery analytics division at, at headquarters um, translates to the field in a very consistent way of looking at how we're reporting metrics. Um, it's not necessarily personality driven, uh, disaster by disaster. By having that consistency, disaster to disaster, we now have a better picture of how we're supporting communities across the board. And an in, in FCO, a federal coordinating officer, is going to be able to really identify specific needs in that community based on the reports that have been standardized from the Recovery Analytics Division and uh, the Disability Integration Office. So that in and of itself helps give a better picture of a community. And then that can help us better tailor to uh, different parts of that community, different uh, different needs across the community, and we will accommodate that as as those are known. And it is does it also because you also have a responsibility for engaging with our, our voluntary agencies. Um, so does that help you better anticipate maybe what voluntary agencies you can help start working with early? Absolutely, it it gives us an opportunity to share appropriate uh, data sets knowing what we are going into or what we're seeing on, on the front end. Uh, and it also helps them, the voluntary organizations, provide better services to individuals in that affected area. Okay, well, so another big part of uh, something that came out over the last year, the Government Accountability Report came out uh, and identified a couple of key areas for recommendations on how we can improve the office's work. Can you give me a little summary of, of those seven recommendations? Sure. Um, the some of the recommendations touched, you know, on FEMA as a whole organization versus just related to the Office of Disability Integration and Coordination. But some of the key ones that focused very much on our office were um, related to providing uh, strategic guidance and direction to the artists or regional disability integration specialists, also on um, providing a plan for training, not only of FEMA staff, but external stakeholders. And so um, what we are doing towards achieving those uh, goals and, and meeting those GAO recommendations is that we've um, con been convening a work group to study the regional disability integration specialist position, to look at what that position really needs to look like, to discuss the standardization of roles and responsibilities of that position. And that group is uh, scheduled to put forth recommendations very shortly that we then look to implement over the next six months, nine months, year. Um, but our goal there is really looking at, uh, you know, very much standardizing that position so that 
the the regional disability integration specialist in region one is doing the same job as they are in two and three and four. And because um, we did not have that guidance back, you know, 10 years ago predating me, I think the positions sort of developed on their own based on regional need. And we just really saw a need as we were reframing the mission of the office and how we're doing business to standardize that position. And it fits in line with what the GAO was recommending. So that that's that one. And then in terms of training, um, we had pulled back our uh, couple of our training courses uh, previously, recognizing that they really weren't fully meeting the needs that we wanted to accomplish in in offering those trainings. And we used to have a class called EL197, which was integrating access and functional needs into emergency planning. And that the original intent of that class was putting together emergency managers and disability organizations, kind of getting them together so they would be introduced, they would start integrating and start planning. Um, and working together. The piece that I saw missing in that class was we got people in the room, but there was no mechanism to take them forward. And so what we did when we pulled that class back, we looked at what are really the gaps when you're looking at communities serving people with disabilities. And part of it is really what happens when uh, jurisdictions are writing their plans. Often disability is written in as an annex to a plan. It's not included in a, in a plan, right? It's a separate document. It lives somewhere else. Somebody else wrote it. And so what we decided to do with this course was really focus it on the people who are doing the planning. And so that this, this course, when it gets uh, re-released in about a year, will be available to planners both within FEMA and external partners. They will be able to take their existing plans, you know, and and test them against real-world requirements for serving people with disabilities and walk away understanding that they have a document that will do what it needs to do when it comes to people with disabilities. So I think that's a really important shift and a positive change. So that's one piece. There's another course that is, is right now a requirement for all FEMA employees, IS-368. We're looking at that course as well because that's sort of a, it's a disability 101, if you will. We want to make that something that can be refreshed, uh, you know, annually or semi-annually because there's always changes in the laws and regulations and approaches and philosophies. And, and probably get more specific exactly. about the actual program. Exactly. Uh, you know, from, from I'm assuming as you guys are integrating together on that piece. Yes. So uh, so we're looking at, again, a refresh of that course that, that will be offered to all of FEMA employees to give, uh, to give everyone that basic grounding. You know, when we talked last year, Mark, one of the things I talked about as my focus was really building the capacity of the organization to serve people with disabilities as a whole. And so refreshing that training and really giving people that base level of knowledge, you know, across the enterprise is, it's not the only step, but I think it's a good first step. You talked about um, sort of reshaping the intake forms to make things simpler. Um, what are some other positive uh, things that we've seen in the field as it relates to program delivery? So, well, I think one of the really important changes um, that we will see that that's going to very much benefit people with disabilities, and I'd like for Chris to chime in on this, is the changes in the uh, Disaster Recovery Reform Act, Section 1212. And that 
the two key pieces that benefit people with disabilities are um, the sections that basically exempt accessibility-related real property improvements from the, the current cap on, uh, on services that can be received, as well as um, personal property. And so I think, Chris, if I can toss it over to you to fill in some details on that. So in the um, legislation, uh, it provides for uh, individuals with disabilities an opportunity that was not um, available to us previously. And that before, every uh, piece of disaster damage was included in, in somebody's cap, uh, whatever the cap was at the particular the max, year. The, the max maximum that they can uh, receive. Correct. And what this legislation will allow us to do now is any um, previously existing uh, infrastructure, let's say, for instance, somebody had a, a ramp at their home uh, and it was washed away in a flood. Well, um, previously, that would have been part of your cap as, as to, to replace that and, and repair that. Uh, now, those costs are outside of the cap and uh, don't they are not considered to be a part of that total. And therefore, you can continue to make needed home repairs as well as needed accessibility repairs to make that place a home, which before it put people in a bad place to make a choice. And, and now that we don't have to do that. And I think, um, I hope this isn't lost on the public. I mean, it's more than just uh, changing the line item. I mean, this really does make a difference uh, for people who do have to make a choice of, am I going to make things easier for me to access my home or am I going to actually repair my home? Uh, that's that's a tremendous improvement, and you know, having, uh, you know, working in the region and having um, seen a couple of individual assistance disasters where this has been applicable, uh, this is a great program. It's a great part of the program. Um, so, you know, looking forward, what are you thinking in terms? Of, I mean, we've we've talked about individual assistance, which seems like a logical, um, maybe first part to uh, first place for the office to integrate with. But you know, we also just talked about public assistance. Are you thinking about mitigation as well, integrating with with that office? Yes, we are um, talking with folks in mitigation. We're looking at um, resilience as well, and you know, I think. We're, we're doing this obviously in stages. We can't do it all at one time, I think. And you, you point out, Mark, that you know individual assistance was sort of our natural place to start because of the pre-existing relationships we had with that office. But I will say, you know, I've seen it taken to a whole different dimension because we've been just mu much more closely interacting and engaged and really working at that very ground level policy, you know, policy and procedural level um, so that we can make sure things are done, you know, in the best way possible for people with disabilities on the front end versus trying to fix things later. And that's really kind of what we hope to replicate across the other program areas from mitigation, resilience, public assistance, you know, and, and the public assistance piece to me is also really exciting um, because disability integration didn't engage with public assistance um, much, if at all, previously. And when you look at the amount of money that we spend on public assistance and rebuilding of public infrastructure and the impact that that can have on the lives of people with disabilities, we know that it's really important to engage there, which is why we've hired somebody specifically to engage with public assistance to define what that engagement will look like. And then our other uh, key hire is our capacity building analyst, and she will be you know, identifying both opportunities internally to 
develop those relationships with mitigation, with resilience, with the other program offices internally, as well as with external stakeholder organizations. So I, I feel like we're in a really um, exciting time for the office and really, uh, you know, for FEMA as a whole, I think we're really uh, improving how we're serving people with disabilities through these engagements. I think just within public assistance, it seems like 406, um, the public assistance mitigation sort of part of the program uh, would be just an, an amazing opportunity to integrate the needs of the disability community as we rebuild from catastrophic storms or um, storms that have largely impacted public infrastructure. That could be a great opportunity as well, right? Exactly. And that's, you know, so we're looking at all of the possibilities across the range of, of public assistance programs and services to see where we can have the best impact. And we recognize, you know, disability integration, we are advisors. We are not chief counsel, right? We are not lawyers. We are not the hammer um, telling people what they must do and how they must do it. But we have an opportunity to sit at the table as we are looking at, you know, a Paradise, California or a Puerto Rico or a, you know, someplace that's really tremendously impacted and going to be rebuilt from the ground up to make it so much better than it was before when it comes to livability for people with disabilities and everyone else by extension. So the program has uh, really worked on changing the way that um, you are structured internally. Yes. Um, addressing the um, the recommendations from the um, Government Accountability Office and then also integrating the strategic plan. So a year from now, if we were to check in, uh, what do you hope to see um, in terms of improvements? So I think within a year, I would love to, and I'm going to have Chris address this a little bit, one of the other things that we're working on with his office is a refresh of the FNSS or Functional Needs Support Services Guidance. Um, so I'd like to see that either completed or well on the way. Um, and because that, that's a almost a decade-year-old document, so it's definitely time what, for refresh. What is that program? So, or what is that off? Um, what is that document? The Functional Needs Support Services Guidance, and Chris can speak to it more, but basically this is a document that is meant to uh, provide guidance for housing people with disabilities in general population shelters. And so the original guidance, which again, Chris can probably better speak to than I, was, uh, you know, came sort of out of PCMRA and those recommendations and um, was really, uh, again, you know, at a, a previous version of the Americans with Disabilities Act was in place. So some guidance has changed since then. Um, but that was really kind of the focus of that document was helping shelter owners, operators, managers understand their obligations when it came to people with disabilities and give them concrete tools for how to implement them. So I was a local emergency manager when the first one came out. And, and I recall very vividly, um, you know, the, the camera and, and working as a local EM and, and, and really finding my way um, to work with the community and the state to, to make the necessary changes in our, our sheltering capabilities right off the bat. Uh, this is an exciting opportunity for us now because we actually have, um, you know, built-in uh, disability uh, integration uh, experts at the front end to really um, make this a uh, this this um, revision of this this document much more meaningful for state and locals. the The trick here is, is it's to me it's it's pretty simple. I'm a pretty simple guy, and when it boils down to some things, it, it means this to state and local jurisdictions. When you have an artist in a region. 
who is going to be engaging with uh, not only the regional staff, but also states and locals. And we have documents like this that are properly produced on the front end collaboratively. Then the idea here is, is that states and locals can take these plans and use them as frameworks to build their own in a much more articulated and intelligent way. And as we collaborate here and it moves to other levels of government, it really does help us build that that infrastructure that we need across the board. So every single time we have a document that is built in a, in a manner like this and it's rolled out with our partners at the state and local level, I fundamentally believe that this is the right way for moving forward. And the FNSS, a year from now, my expectation is the same as yours, Linda, in that we will have, if it's not all the way through the, the formal process that we have, it is well on its way. And, and it will be a much more holistic, inclusive document than we had previously. We welcome your comments and suggestions on this and future episodes. Help us to improve the podcast by rating us and leaving a comment. If you have ideas for future topics, send us an email at FEMA-podcast at FEMA.dhs.gov. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit FEMA.gov slash podcast. Thank you.